This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, we talk to an amazing vocalist, Todd Michael Hall. We talk all about his new killer solo album, Sonic Healing. We also talk some Riot 5, Jack Star's Burning Star, and what it was like being on NBC's The Voice. Hair metal fans, don't freak out. This is just episode 91. It's not about 1991. <laughs> it's a good conversation. Check it out. Well, Todd, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. And hey, man, you got a new album out, Sonic Healing, and I'm loving it. I'm digging the uh, the late 70s, early 80s classic rock vibes on here, man. It's very good. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that was definitely uh, definitely the inspiration. I call it classic rock inspired, so it was definitely what I was shooting for and hoping to achieve and uh, so I, I, I felt like we kind of hit hit the nail on the head, but obviously, you know, you don't know for sure until you get feedback from people. So that's true. Why do this kind of style right now? Well, is this something you've always wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a type of music that I really love, you know, and and it's something that influenced me when I was younger. And I I think part of it it really is twofold. I think it was just I'd, I'd done a lot of uh, about seven heavy metal albums in a row. And and I love that kind of music, but mm-hmm. you know, to me, I was I was in the mood for something a little bit different. And then I figured for solo stuff, it's nice, you know. I think there were some people that were like expecting it to be a more of a heavy metal album, and and but I don't know. I'm already in Riot, so I didn't feel a real need to try to come out and be Riot, but not without the rest of the guys in Riot. <laughs> I wanted to do something a little different. I think that's the whole point of doing a solo album. I always thought it was weird when somebody would come out and do an album that sounds just like the band that they're with. It's like, why not just do this album with the band that you're in? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I understand in the sense of, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to be creative all on your own and not have to, but yeah, like when, when it ends up sounding pretty much the same, I mean, I think where you'll see that too is when you'll have someone who's in a band and they're the principal writer in the band, right? And then and then they go, they they do a solo album. And yeah, it sounds just like the band. You're kind of like, well, I'm not sure what the point was, but you know, to each his own thing. I think for me, I was also, um, you know, just really in the mood to do. To me, when I think of old school classic rock, I mean, I just think of the days when when everything was just. I know there was just an excitement and energy about the music and the band and the virtuoso players and and not that like every band was a party band but just there was a lot of positive energy about all the music and it was on the radio and it was just associated with good times you know and I think for me that's what I wanted to I just wanted to have an album that just had a real positive you know energetic you know give impart energy on people type of vibe yeah and uh, so you know, I was just I was just in the mood for that, I guess, and uh, that's what I that's what I hope to achieve anyway. It definitely has that vibe, and what I can say, man, is it's it's a really good listen because I can put it on and I can just go right through the whole thing. You know, I don't I don't feel the need to skip a track or or they all the tracks kind of fit together. You know what I mean? It's that same kind of vibe that follows throughout. I, it's definitely well done. Yeah, I appreciate that, and that's a big compliment. I'm kind of an old school guy, you know. I'm kind of a an album listener, and yeah, I mean, I guess I do rip things into my iPod and I'll run the iPod at random but you know I, I tend to like the albums that I usually love are the kind that are like that where you can put them on and play them the whole way through and you know not feel like you're skipping a track and it just kind of you know it just becomes the soundtrack not that you're necessarily even paying real close attention to every song you know what I mean but it's just something you can have on and just enjoy 
and uh, you know, so it's a big compliment. So I really appreciate that. Oh, oh, definitely. And I think I think all on the line is my favorite. Uh, but a lot of other songs that stood out to me are like "Running After You," the title track, uh, "Love Rain Down." I mean, a lot of those those are the ones, at least at this point, that are standing out to me. You know, it's tough for me. You know, it's really hard when you write an album and then to come back and try to think, okay, well, what's going to be the video? What's the song? You know that, and 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 it's always tough. I think you know, uh, in working on it. Kurt and I both, uh, Kurt Vanderhoof, who wrote, you know, co-wrote all the songs with me um, from Metal Church. Um, he, he and I, right from the, you know, pretty early on, we're like, wow, Overdrive is just that's a great album opener. We're thinking that's that's the album because it's just got this energy that mm-hmm. pulls you in. And then I think, uh, but, but at first that wasn't really going to be the lead single, and we were debating well, what's going to be the lead single and. You know, it's so tough because as you go through and evaluate, you know, like I love running after you, but it's a little more of a ballad. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, it's not really a ballad once it kicks in, but it takes a little while. You know, it takes like two minutes to get to the chorus. And so I thought, well, maybe that's not really the one you'd want. And I really love All on the Line, too, actually. And that, I, I really, actually, I was debating, like, should that one be it? But then when I listen to it, it's kind of like it just starts on dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know, da, 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 you know and, and, and well, in the way it starts, like, the, you know, I, bottom line is I think we ended up going with um, with uh, oh, Let Loose Tonight because, uh, well, Joe at the record label really thought that one was kind of indicative of the album as a whole because mm-hmm. it had that definite old school vibe. But the other thing is the way it starts out, it just starts out with energy, you know, you know, so it just draws you kind of right in. And so, I, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, because you, 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 sometimes you overthink it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh um, so, and I, and we, I'm sure I, I, I overthink everything. Joe at the record label is always making fun of me because I'm overthinking <laughs> everything. But that's what I do. I'm, I told him, I'm like, that's what I do, man. That's what I do. So, now, what are some of your influences that are coming through strong, in your opinion, on this album? You know, I think for me, you know, when I think back to my kind of formative years, when I was basically young and like starting to, you know, I was probably pre-teen even and, and getting into rock and you know the influences for me was like sticks and ario speedwagon in boston mm-hmm. and probably a little triumph in russian there obviously i listened to van halen but like i never really thought my voice sounded like david lee i, I mean i love david lee but i never thought my voice sounded like that so i don't know if he's an influence on me um and then i don't know as i as i got going a little bit you know oh i got freddie mercury from queens i remember having that uh, News of the World or whatever album when I was younger. I don't know. You know, the funny thing is it wasn't even my albums. I had older brothers and my mom would buy albums too. So I was just kind of like, listen, uh, you know what I mean? I was kind of listening to whatever, you know, they had though. And I remember Ted Nugent was in the mix and everybody. And Ted Nugent used to have some, you know, like Derek St. Holmes was a great singer and yeah. stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, so yeah, I think a lot of that. And then as I got older and got to where I was like 14, 15 years old, that's when, uh, the heavy metal started to kind of come in, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was really in love with uh, Jeff Tate at yeah. the time, and, and, and even Eric Adams from Manowar, which oh. might make some people scratch their heads, but I think he's got a, a stupidly amazing voice because he can sound like clean and do opera if he wants to, but he can also sound kind of more like an animal, if you know what I mean. Not not like maybe the Cookie Monster stuff <laughs> nowadays, but he can... Re- he can really get the growl stuff going, which I thought was kind of cool, which is something I'm not really capable of. I don't have much of that. I'm I'm pretty hopelessly clean, so I tend to be drawn to the singers that are maybe a little more like me in that regard, you know. Right. So, but, 
So yeah, I think those are probably probably those are probably the influences that come out. I mean, I think what's interesting on this album, the one thing that surprised me is I've like I've listened to a lot of Rush, right? You know, because mm-hmm. they were on the radio and they were just one of those cool bands that you would hear all the time. But I guess I never really like thought about Geddy Lee being an influence on me. Yet there seems to be a, quite a few people saying, "Man, he sounds like Geddy Lee." On this. I'm like, "Oh, okay. yeah." You know, I wasn't shooting to, but apparently, you know, sometimes there's just a. I, I think at this point, like I, I just sing. Like I'm not. Uh, sometimes I hear people, and when I hear them, it sounds to me like they're doing something to their voice to make it sound the way it does. And you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. to get a certain tone or a certain pronunciation and stuff like that. And I think on this one, it's just like hand me a piece of music and I just start singing, and that's just what my voice sounds like. So I, I feel like I don't know if I sound unique or anything, but I feel like it's definitely me. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I would do it. Um, although I did, I do think I I do think there's a a pre-chorus, the pre-chorus of. Uh, running after you, I, it's not like I planned it, but for some reason I think there's something about the the chords <laughs> yep. that Kurt is playing and and the line I'm singing. That that's I don't know. I'm, I must be ripping off a Rush song or something because that pre-chorus, riding on an endless way. Yep, yep. You know that that just it screams Rush to me so hard. I'm like, who? What song am I stealing that from? I gotta go look it up and maybe somebody <laughs> will tell me one of these days. Yeah, no, and then, uh, I hear I, mean, I hear it there. I hear the Rush there because I'm not a big Rush fan at all. And, and there's that one little part where I hear that. I'm like, oh, that does that reminds me of Rush. That yeah. little pre-chorus piece. You're right. Yeah, and I think it's not just the vocal. I think it's some sort of combination of that chord or the melody or something. Yep. Maybe subconsciously I'm ripping them off. I don't even know. But like to me, then a song like the song "Like No Other." That one's got kind of almost more challenging singing. It's a little more consistently high, not like real high, like heavy metal screaming high, although there is the one song I kind of have a little bit of that in there. That one, when I hear it, and and no one else has said it, but to my ears it sounds, my vocal sounds a little bit like Empire era uh, Jeff Tate, you know. And I think it's because the song, if, if you listen to Empire, a lot of the song topics on that, album were um we're kind of relationship driven you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh and, and that's what that song is kind of like and i think uh where it's where it's at vocally kind of reminds me of jeff tate maybe so i don't know if i sound like him but that song makes me I, if, if someone were to tell me that i would be like okay yeah because i felt like i was hearing that <laughs> other than that i don't know i don't know who i sound like i guess well, hey, man, I got I got to backtrack to something you said when you were talking. Is when you said the when you said the name Eric Adams, I didn't scratch my head. I made the metal horns. I love Manowar, man. One of my favorite bands. So nice. And and, and Eric Adams, awesome. he makes Manowar for me, man. And you know what's funny? These guys don't live very far from me. They're we're both we're, we're all upstate New Yorkers. So hopefully our paths will cross someday. Oh well. You know what's funny is I just you know way back in like nineteen eighty. Three, I think it was my brother Rick. Um, I had two older brothers. My brother John is one I was in like Harlot with, but then my older brother Rick was like a year and a half older than me. He had a, a like a record store called Heavy Metal Limited with um, another friend of ours who's a bit older than us. Um, that's how he was able to swing it because it's hard to have your own record store when you're a teenager. <laughs> right. um, and even so, he introduced me to a lot of music, so like Malice and Warrior and mm. all this stuff. But Manowar was a band that we all just really loved back then, and we kind of discovered them, I think, around 82, 83. And, and it was almost like, but when we discovered them, I'm pretty sure it was like 
I'm trying to think. I think Sign of the Hammer was the mm-hmm. one that we kind of discovered him on, and then we went back, and right. you know, also we're like, oh my god, Battle Hymns, oh my oh, god, and yep. then we were just so in love with them, and they they were just so good. Their first, I mean, right up through um, certainly Kings of Metal, and maybe even a little bit after that, and they're still really good, but I think. You know that the songwriting maybe got a little more stale. Hopefully, Joey doesn't strangle me for saying <laughs> that. Interestingly enough, is that later on, I actually when I got out of singing, like in '96, I mean, got out of it just I wasn't performing. I was my brother and I had kind of split up working together. He wanted me to sound like Pantera, you know, like right. that style of vocal, um, and and I, I just can't. I can't. I'm not even physically capable of singing that way. Maybe I am, and I just never trained myself, but. Um, but anytime I've tried, it just hurts my throat, so I don't even bother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even bought the Zen of Screaming DVD and watched it. <laughs> this lady tries to coach him to learn how to do that stuff seriously. And, like, I tried it one time at practice, and it just was ripping me up. I'm like, forget that. So even I split up with my brother in 96, and I was out of it for a while. I was learning how to play guitar, and I was doing things musically, but I wasn't performing, and... I was mostly just kind of focused on work and stuff like that. But then around 2004, I saw an ad that Jack Starr was looking for a singer to be on an album that was going to come out on Magic Circle Music, yes. which is owned by the members of Manowar, which yep. is owned by Joey. And I remember my brother Rick saying, well, dude, if anybody would like your style of singing, this might be might be the band. And right. inter- interestingly enough, I had Jack Starr's solo album from 1984 my brother Rick once again he, he had talked me into buying it said oh Rhett Forster's a cool singer that's a good album you should buy it so I remember buying it and and I and I, the thing is if you I don't know if you know that album but Jack was like sitting there wearing a fedora just holding the guitar and I even teased him about it so I'm like dude this album cover is pretty bad really. you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's got better ones now with, with all the warriors and stuff, so I can so. I can tease him about it but in any event what was cool is I remember you know I was a big man of war fan so here it is 2004 and I get a uh, 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 an email from someone, hey, Joey wants to arrange a conference call with you. And I'm like, really? And I remember it was like Memorial Day weekend, 2004. Wow. And I had a, this conference call with Joey, and it was very, very, for me, it was like kind of mind blowing because, like, this is Joey DeMeo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And then he, uh, he ended up uh, inviting me. The way the story worked is there was a guy named Manuel. Who were and he still works for Joey. Still uh, <laughs> works with Joey. He, but back then he uh, he heard a, a CD that I had sent in because they were looking for a singer. And actually Jack and the bass player Ned and stuff they had settled on a singer. Um, they had settled on this fella named Scott Oliva, who actually, believe it or not, is in my old band Reverence now. Okay. Um, but they had set the so they had decided they wanted Scott Oliva, and he is um, he was in like an Iron Maiden tribute band or something. And, uh, and, but then Joey, uh, Manuel told Joey to listen to my CD and Joey heard it and he really, he really liked me. And Joey's not a big fan of, Ma- of Iron Maiden, so I think maybe that's why, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he wasn't satisfied yet. I don't know. And, uh, but, uh, but in any event, he ended up calling me out there and I, and I remember telling him like, Hey, I'm a big fan of Eric Adams. Like, is there a way I can meet him when I was out there? And so they flew out cause he, he's like, well, fly out, come to the studio. We'll meet each other, talk this and that. And I remember flying to their studio. It was their old studio that they're not, it was an old piano factory and they're not in that studio anymore. They have a different one now and which I, I recorded the first album at the different one. Cause over the few years I was there, 
Sorry, I tell long stories. Um, but even <laughs> I flew there, and I remember here I am in their studio, and Eric Adams, you know, he comes in, hey, how you doing? I got to meet him, talk, ask a few questions. Like, dude, how did you, you know, whatever made you learn how to sing like that, where you get that growly thing going? And he told me, he's like, well, I just thought, you know, what would an animal sound like? And I'm like, wow. oh, man, that's so fitting, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but they, they put me in the sound booth, um, and I was recording, you know, singing along to some of Jack's songs and, and you know, singing some parts. And here I am, you know, singing uh, Day of the Reaper. I think it was one of the songs I was singing. And Eric Adams is on the other side of the glass in the recording booth, you know, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the recording booth. He's in the whatever you call it, where the soundboard is. And here I am singing with Eric Adams looking at me. While I'm singing, dude, it was it's wow. it's one of the mo most people would be like whatever, you know what I mean. But for me, it was like, oh my god, <laughs> 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 yeah. Eventually, I ended up playing two of the Magic Circle festivals in uh, in uh, Germany, and so I have other great stories of you know talking to Eric a little more, but also like being up on stage performing and looking to the side and seeing Joey hanging out in his leather pants, listening to us play on the one side and looking at the other side and seeing, you know, Eric Adams jamming along with me and stuff. It's like, you know, that's, that's kind of, that was like 2008, 2009. And it was like, uh, that was my first time playing a show over in Europe. And it was just, you know, I don't know when I think back to it and, and how far I've kind of come since then too. But uh, in a way, Joey really, gave me my start because he's he told jack nope this guy's your singer so joey picked me to be in the band so and on one of those story, albums you played with uh rhino played on one of those albums didn't he for man yep. yeah 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 yep. rhino um rhino when i got there like the music had already been recorded i know like joe stump had done some rhythm guitars and and Rhino had recorded the drums, and so it was interesting because when I first kind of met Jack and we started thinking about trying to play some shows, we were trying to put together like a band, so to speak. Uh, it was me and him and Ned, and they had a couple other guys, but nothing could stick or whatever. So the interesting thing is the first album Rhino actually played on it, but he wasn't kind of an official member of the band at that time. Okay. Um, but in the in in, an, in the ensuing couple of years, he ended up moving down to Florida. And becoming like an official member of the band, so he's like in the picture of the next two albums. Awesome stuff, man! And then with Reverence, you got to play with uh, Doc Wackles from Sabotage. Yeah, yeah, isn't that awesome? Uh, you know, one of my favorites. I mean, while I was, yeah, he's just he's just such a nice guy too. He's just a really cool guy, um, and you know, very just down to earth and friendly and and unpretentious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a really great guy, and. Uh, and it was interesting because I don't know. I was in in I was in um, uh, Jack Star, you know, Burning Star, and I got approached by Brian Holland, and he had been he had somehow reformed, and I forget the guy's name. There was a guitar player that was that founded Tokyo Blade, and mm. Brian had gotten together with that guitar player, and I, his name escapes me because I, I I didn't I, I knew Tokyo Blade, but I didn't listen to him a lot. Like I certainly didn't know the members of all the bands, but in any event. So when Brian got first called me, he wanted to go and call the band Tokyo Blade, and that's when I was like, nah, I'm not real interested in doing that. Not that I don't like Tokyo Blade, but like that guitar player was gone, so it was going to be none of the original guys, mm. and whatnot, have you? And I just thought that's no. Well, then he called me back and was like, man, I really love your singing, though. Would you, would you like to just write some songs together and see what happens? And da 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 da. And so we did, and that's what became Reverence. Okay. And. Uh, I was, you know, so we put uh, some good effort into this couple of Reverence albums. I was real proud of those. And the reason that was something that I was interested in is because I got full reign on the vocal melodies and the lyrics nice. and everything. So I felt like it was kind of all mine. 
um, which was kind of cool, you know, because in, in, in Jack Star, you know, in Burning Star, the trouble is, is Ned and, and Jack, they live in Florida, so they sit and write songs together. I mean, even, even Rhino's down there with them. So, like, I tend to get, like, what I would call the leftovers. Like, they'll send me a song that's, <laughs> you know, partially finished, and I got to just finish it, you know what I mean, or something like that, in terms of writing lyrics and stuff. Uh, and so it was nice to be able to get involved, you know, and, and not that I'm, you know, I don't have a problem with Jack and Ned. I totally get it. I'm not there, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but that's what Reverence was for me. It was more of a creative outlet than Burning Star was, I guess. That's kind of what led me being in Riot because the producer of the uh, the producer for the Land of the Dead album, which was the second Burning Star album I did, fellow's name was Bart Gabriel, and we went over and we played. Uh, we Bart had helped line us up a couple shows. We played the Keep It True Festival and then a, uh, three other shows over in Europe or Greece or whatever have you. And I think one in Italy and two in Greece. So it was like four shows. And after those few shows, uh, that's. That was in 2013, and that's when Bart called me and said, hey, you know, email me or message me and said, hey, do you know that, you know, Riot's looking for a singer? And I'm like, really? I'm like, I thought they were done because I knew that Mark Reale had passed away Mm -hmm. a year earlier. And he said, no, they're trying to reform it, and they're putting it back together, and I think you'd be good for it. And it turns out he had suggested a bunch of singers to Donnie. Um, But part, you know, some of them didn't work out, and then some of them were from Europe, and Donnie, like, really didn't want to have a singer from Europe because he just figured logistically it'd be too tough. And so, uh, so, I don't know, he hooked Donnie and I up, and I started by recording, uh, they they sent me um, versions of three songs off the Immortal Soul album that they did with Tony, uh, you know, because Tony wasn't interested in doing anything, or else they probably would have gone with him, but they sent me three songs off Immortal Soul that, that had the lead vocal taken off and said, okay, we'll record the vocals, and I sent those back to them, and then they, and then he's like, oh, well, all right, we'll try putting vocals on this, and, and so he sent me Metal Warrior and Ride Hard, Live Free, and I put vocals on it, and I, I didn't know what was going on. I was waiting for them to let me know what was going on, and all of a sudden, Donnie calls me back, and yeah, I sent those off to the record label, and they really liked them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I, I didn't even know. So I was actually recording. The funny thing is they announced me being in the band in November of 2013, but I had already written like a few songs for them by then. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'd been in the band really since the summer, I guess you'd say. Now, were you big into Riot so, before think, getting in the band? Or? You know, not necessarily. Like for me, I... I lost track of Riot when they got into, you know, the Mike DeMeo era. And and mm-hmm. I think it's because it was in the 90s when, frankly, I lost track of a lot of heavy metal. Sure. I got busy working. Yep. You know, uh, I was really focused on the family business at the time. And and uh, and I actually, you know, so, I mean, I, you know, so I, I kind of lost track of that. But, I mean, I definitely knew the earlier Riot because my brother John used to play, like, Swords of Tequila in his band when I was too young to even be in the band right. so i remember singing along to that song and i remember my brother john buying the thundersteel album on vinyl even and like having it in our help you know in our basement and him throwing it on and me listening to it and i remember thinking oh my god you know, like that tony moore guy his vocal it's like he's on helium he can sing so high you know and uh, i thought who can sing that <laughs> and it turns out i can you can big time and it's funny i mean i'll be honest I'm just kind of getting in the riot that you know, like you said, there's certain bands. Just sometimes you miss them, you know. Like it's like with I'm really into Manowar, really love Sabotage, but then there's other bands that somehow you, you're focused in this direction, you miss this band, you know. You don't know. So I never was really familiar with Riot, but when I went back 
and I, I know this week I've been listening to a lot of it before we talk, and uh, I can see where like the original vocalist who passed away, Guy Speranza, you, you have almost a quality of your voice that's similar to his, so they they must like that, you know, for some of the older tracks. Yeah, I think you know if you look at it, really, I mean, with Riot, the the, the biggest album, certainly as far as the U.S. is concerned, their biggest album is the third one that's Fire Down Under. Um, and then, you know, there is a lot of people that are, what's interesting about Riot is, it, you know, I'm the fifth singer, so they've had, and, and as they've changed singers, they've also changed styles pretty, mm-hmm. pretty massively, because Mark was, Mark was this guy that would work with the people that he had, and, and things would change, I mean, he had influences all over, you know, so, I mean, he would change the music, and so the original Riot was, it was, it was, it was a kind of a, if you listen like the original album from 77, it's actually like, you're like, wow, like, wow, this is 77? Like, who sounded like this back then? Yeah. They were kind of a unique band back then. And and really, I think one of the, and I I don't know if this is technically, musically, the, you know, the best way to say it, but it's like Mark liked to play fast. And so, like, they played rock, but then they would play the riffs kind of fast. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what made him sound maybe, that's why I like a lot of, what's funny is back then they were kind of considered part of the new wave of British heavy metal, even though they weren't from Britain. From Britain, yeah. right. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And, but, but the reason is, is because they were over in London, they were like, they were around when Iron Maiden was first starting and some of that. So they kind of almost got lumped into that, even though when you listen to them, the, the first three albums really was more hard rock. Um, closer to hard rock maybe than it was heavy metal, I don't know. And then, and then, what was interesting is when Guy left the band at the third band, they got Rep Forster, who's a great singer, but he had more of that growl and that attitude and, and stuff. So then they kind of went to more of like a bluesy, you know, hard rock style. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, did, I can't remember if it was two or three albums. I think one was a live album, but, um, and so there was Born in America and Restless Breed, and I always forget the other one, but, um, <clears throat> they had, uh, but when Tony Moore came in, like, what, what happened is Donnie, Donnie Van Staven, who's in the band now, he got involved in the early 90s because um, Mark Reale, uh used to like to summer down in, or excuse, winter down in, in San Antonio. He loved Texas. He loved the South. He loved all that whole, whole cowboy mystique and all that stuff. And so he, he would summer down in Texas, and there was a guy who somehow was associated with a record label or something, and he hooked up Donnie and, and Mark so that basically Donnie had a band and Mark would come in and they would just jam together. And so Mark and Donnie started writing songs together. And I know that like Donnie, you know, and Mark worked on songs that ended up being on one of the albums. I think it was the born in America. album. So uh, it was kind of interesting. So Donnie was kind of already involved way, way back then. And so then, and then after Rhett Forster left the band, Riot kind of reinvented themselves and, and, uh, and, and, Mark and Donnie were doing something. They called the band like Narita for a little while, and then they decided, well, we're just going to come back out with Riot. But they specifically wanted to go more in the power metal vein mm-hmm. and get a higher singer and all that stuff. And that's when they got Tony Moore and they switched to Thundersteel, which then, if we were going to argue which album was bigger, certainly in other parts of the world, Thundersteel, I might argue, is bigger. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's hard for me to know. It's hard for me to know for certain, certain, but definitely, like, the closer song has to be the song Thundersteel. You know what I mean? It's like, that is, it just seems like the one everybody goes nuts for. So over in, you know, in South America and Japan and in Europe, um, I think Thundersteel might be arguably the biggest album. So if you look at it, sorry, I tell such long stories. Bottom line is we were talking about the singers and me fitting in with the band. If, if you look, we tend to play 
mostly Thundersteel stuff because we're pretty power metal based, and then quite a few stuff, quite a few songs from the Guy Speranza era. Okay. We we usually only play about one, maybe two songs from Rat, one one, maybe two from Mike DeMeo's era. So consequently, it's kind of good for me because those are the two singers that I sound the most like. You know? right. so yeah. That's probably why people think I fit in the band so well. Now, do you think you're in a good position with this? And I'll, t- I'll see, tell you where I'm going with this. I mean, I think you're what early 50s, right? And a lot of these yeah, guys, 51. a lot of these guys um, who are in some of these original bands, I mean, they're like they could be in their 60s or 70s at this point. So, I mean, your voice. I mean, this could happen to anybody at any age, but your voice has probably had a lot less wear and tear and is in really good shape right now where some of these other guys, some of them can't do it anymore. So, like, when when these guys are willing to, you know, want to keep their bands going or do projects, I mean, it kind of puts you in a good spot, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, certainly, you know, I didn't... I mean, I played out when I was a lot younger and, and all that stuff, and I kind of... I played out enough to kind of learn how to sing live and all that stuff, but the reality is I, I think I'm a, like, I'm a better singer now than I was back then, especially from working on all these albums the last few years and recording at home and learning about harmonies and all that kind of stuff. So as far as recording and being able to perform and and getting my voice to do some of the things that I want to do and then being able to map out my own harmonies and and then being able to, to sing live and kind of keep my voice healthy and all that stuff, I'm in probably the best spot I've ever been, but I've done a lot more playing than I kind of ever did, really. I mean, I did a lot of playing. I played out quite a bit when I was late teens and early 20s and then I had that break for a while and then and then really didn't you know even when I was in Bernie Starr doing albums in Reverence we really weren't playing a lot of shows mm-hmm. so but now in, in Riot I don't know I've done over 100 shows or whatever with them in the last few years so I mean and I even had a, like a 25 show tour opening up for uh, for for um primal fear you know 25 shows over 30 days i mean i didn't have to sing two hours a night but like i've done i've done like seven days in a row with riot singing two hours a night you know and stuff like that and i'm not saying i'm invincible but i've just been very fortunate because the the songs kind of fit my vocal pocket and then i um i take care of myself i i exercise a lot i try to be healthy i don't smoke i really you know i I drink a beer after the show that's about it like i'm not a big partier i never have been Mm -hmm. as far as the drugs and alcohol i mean i've never done any drugs but that's not my thing but uh um, but i've never been a big drinker really either and i think overall i just have kept myself pretty healthy and and i and and you're true, you know, like you look at somebody like a Don Dockin, I mean, that poor guy's been singing for freaking decades. Right. I mean, of course right. his voice is going to be a little tired, you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, just it's natural, you know? It's natural. So I think that, I think that definitely helps me. And, and I mean, even now, um, you know, in Riot, I mean, we play out, I mean, granted, it can be, when we do go play, it, it's a real challenge, but even then, it's like, you know, we're playing six to eight weeks a year. I have to, you know, I mean, I have a full-time job. I mean, I run a manufacturing company for a living, and okay. and uh, I, I know it's funny because, like, sometimes, like, when I was on The Voice, like, every now and then someone would comment and think, well, that's not fair. Why is he on the show? He's a professional musician. It's like, no, I'm not, really. I mean, <laughs> okay, I get paid to perform here and there, but I really don't make any money doing this, you know. Right, right. Um, I mean, I get what they're saying, but... But the show is not, uh, the show wasn't about amateurs. Like, you didn't have to be an amateur to try it, you know? Right. Exactly. And uh, so so the reality is, like, I really don't play out that much and stuff. So, I mean, even now, I, I should be able to keep my voice pretty healthy for a while at this rate. I, you know, I, we're at that point where, like, for me to go to the next level, I don't even know if I could do it because the next level might be, you know, I'm gone for, say, three months out of the year or something. And, right. 
and I just like there's not a lot of money in music anymore and so financially speaking I just don't think I could really justify it you know like right now I just take it off like it's vacation time and right. and you know my wife my wife has to be tolerant and and you know and, and but, but if I were to start taking three months off it's going to start taking so much time away from my my real job that uh, that that would be problematic and I I don't think there's any way it would pay for itself i don't know if you're a bigger band maybe you can make a lot of money but i'll tell you right now i mean we're you know i mean even in riot you know you just it's hard to make money playing shows everything everything's so expensive to travel to do this do that you know and right. people don't buy so much music anymore too so you don't get a lot of money from record labels either so it's it's like i don't know i always say it's a passion project you know because it, it, you do it because you just love to perform and you love to write and record music and you know, and that's and the, the funny thing is, I think that's what it is for a lot of us in this hard rock heavy metal category. Because you know, it's not like you make big money doing interviews, and it's not like people make big money, you know, at some of these smaller record labels and whatnot. Have you? I mean, it's just, I mean, it ends up being kind of a passion project for a lot of people. I mean, photographers and videographers, a lot of these people, it's the same. You know. Yeah, no, I agree 100. percent And you brought up the voice, and I was going to bring it up. Uh, are you glad that you did the voice? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had it. You know, I, I originally went just thinking it would be. Well, first of all, I wonder, like, could I get on TV? You know? <laughs> right. And I still think about it. I still think about it now, and I think, I, I, like, I think about the process that I went through of just kind of like saying, eh, okay, I'll just drive to Chicago, see what happens. Drive to Chicago and, you know, do this open call edition. There was, you know, a couple thousand people there that day, and I was in the afternoon shift, you know, because they could do morning or afternoon, and, and then they call you 10 at a time into the room, and, and then you sing a cappella for somebody, and... And I, I was like, oh, cool. I made, I made it through that. And then afterwards, the lady's like, all right, well, we want you to, okay, you're going to come back tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow? Like, what? I, and I, I'd driven five hours to Chicago. I didn't bring anything to spend the night. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You know? So I had to come back the next day with tracks. And so I had to drive all the way home, drive all the way back the next day, and, and then sing in the studio with some tracks um, and, and get filmed so they could show it to producers. And they liked me there, so they film me and showed, showed some more stuff and then it's like you know I it's just weird I think it happened and there was executive callbacks and there's a blind audition process and I think about oh my god I made it through all that stuff it's pretty bizarre because they I mean like they, they tell you that they, they check out like 30 to 40,000 people you know when wow. to, to, you know so I mean you feel like wow okay and, and the thing is ultimately like I don't have this like to me it was this fun experiential thing I don't have a big head about it like oh my god I'm this great guy because the reality is there's a ton of great singers out there mm -hmm. and and to be on the show you really have to check kind of the boxes and I think I was just fortunate I checked some boxes for him I mean I'm I'm kind of old right um, and you know relative to these 19 year olds that are right. on the show and 14, <laughs> I guess there was a 14 year old Levi was on my team he was 14 you know so, they, so I'm kind of old and I was turning 50 and and so I, but I, I'm fit. I don't necessarily look that old, no. really. And then I was also a rocker, and they don't have a lot of rockers, you no, know. They don't. Yet when you look at the dynamic of, there's a lot of people that watch this show that are in my age range, and they really love the show. And so for them, man, seeing a rocker, they're like, "Cool, there's a rocker on," you know. And so they kind of want to, you know. So I don't know. There was just a lot of boxes I ticked for them to, to have to want to have me. And that, and I'm like a responsible guy. I'm, a, I'm not an asshole. I'm dependable, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that's that's the other thing, you know. You can't. You can't go there and hang out for three weeks prepping to do this and that around all these people and all that and be a, a jerk. They're just right. not going to put up with you. You know, they'll send you home. And, and I've seen I've seen people do it. I've seen people get sent home, you know. So, so 
it was uh, it was when I think back of it, it was fascinating to think that I made it through the process and then just getting there. I mean, the, all the people associated with the show were really nice. The contestants were all really nice. I feel like I made some really good friends, and um, you know, in that regard. And and it wasn't like a reality show where they try to make you look bad too. They're they're right. they just solely want you to look good. That's their whole thing, you know. Um, and, uh, so no, I mean, I had, I had a great time and I had this fantasy, like I thought, man, that you, cause I love jukebox hero was my song right from yeah. the beginning. That yep. was my acapella song. I, I did that for my, you know, I did it the whole way. I mean, granted I would do other songs too, but, uh, but that was my one. So when I got that for my blind audition, I thought I was just in heaven and like, I wanted to be able to do those, those kind of ad lib stuff at the end where I get to hit those higher notes. Yeah. I thought, man, if I could be on national TV singing those high notes, it would just be like, yeah. So there was a part of me that once that was done, it was kind of like, all right, <laughs> that's all I need to do. You know, like, not like I won, but you know what I mean? Like that's what I wanted to do. And so the fact that I got to perform a couple more times was, was pretty cool. So yeah. So I, I don't know. I had a lot of fun. What are the nerves like when, okay, so I just watched it and I remember watching it when it, when it was on because, you know, my wife will watch The Voice and, and I'll kind of perk up when I see a rock person. So when you were on, I was like, wow, all right, this is cool, you know? And, and I just watched it right, right before we started talking and I was just trying to picture like, what are, what are the nerves like? Because are you thinking like, what if they don't turn around? What do I have to do to make them turn around? What is going through your mind at this point? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is they prepare you pretty well, um, like you don't see the coaches or anything, but I mean, you know, you're practicing your song. I mean, you're there, you know, practice your song. They bring you to the stage, you know, like you get to rehearse with the band and then they also bring you out on the stage. You have like a stage rehearsal where um, the band's playing behind you. You get to run through the song three times. First times you're just kind of standing there getting a modern mix. And then, you know, the other times you're supposed to pretend like it's your live thing. And, you know, you got, they have vocal coaches and people that, you know, talk to you and stuff. And, and, uh, I mean, they even have like, um, kind of like, not choreographers, but kind of stage people that'll watch you perform and maybe give you some tips and some pointers and stuff like, hey, how do you want to communicate this song? You know, you only got 90 seconds. How do you want to tell this story? Kind right. of thing. So I think, I think when I came out, I, I kind of had a game plan of, you know, I only had 90 seconds, so I kind of had a game plan of, okay, I'm going to start here. I'm going to do this. I, not like I had every move mapped out, but I kind of had some ideas. Okay, I'm going to go here on this. I'm going to, you know, I might do this and da 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 that. And so, so because of that, like the most nerve wracking thing for me was when you walk out there, definitely silent. There's like 500 people in the studio. You can see them, but they're definitely silent. It's pretty dark. Um, the four coaches, their backs turned to you. You walk up to your little spot on the stage and they don't announce you nothing, you know? Um, and, and then I'm just sitting there and like the band is actually kind of quiet because they're behind you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a live band, but they're behind you. And even when they're jamming, like they're really not that loud compared to what I'm used to. Right. Every right. World, you know? Yeah. And, and so I'm just sit, I'm sitting there like faintly listening for the, you know, the, the, the drummer, Nate kind of doing the four count in. And, uh, and I'm like, oh my God, I want to, st- I want to be on time. Like, I don't want to screw this. You know, cause if you, 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 cause when you come out and you perform and they film you, that's your chance. Right. Like right. if you fucking all up, they're going to, you know, if you screw it up, that's it. You screwed up your chance, you know, so they'll prepare you. But once it's on, it's on. And I was the first person to go that day. I was like the second day of auditions, but okay, I was no. the first person to go that day. So it was a little nerve wracking. And, but yeah, I was, I was like kind of pretty nervous to start, but then once, like I got rolling and I was in the groove, you know, like minute I started singing and it was like, I was just on, I was going to do my thing. And so the funny thing is like, I guess I kind of noticed, like if you watch me, like 
John Legend turned, and he was really surprised me because I thought he was the last person to turn. Right. But if you'll notice, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing my thing. Like he was rocking out to me, and I know that now from watching the show. But I didn't even notice <laughs> while I was performing because I was, I was engaging with the crowd. You know, there was right. a crowd out there, and I was pointing at people in the crowd and rocking it out. You know, and walking from one side of the stage because yes. I wanted to cover the stage nicely and stuff. And so I was just having fun, getting ready to do my thing, and and uh, so I kind of didn't really notice. And the, and I think toward the end, and once. I will tell you one thing. You can see it on the countenance, on the face of the people. Once somebody turns, you can see their face light up because th- there's this relief that sets in, you know. Yeah. And so having John turn right away, that certainly was a good thing. And then uh, having Blake turn toward the end, you know, that felt good too. And I thought I really knocked out of the park. I mean, I hate to sound arrogant. I was kind of like, why didn't these other two turn, man? Yeah, right. I, what, what more do I got to do? No kidding. <laughs> That, no, I mean, I, it is amazing. <laughs> probably sounds probably sounds arrogant, but I thought, well, Kelly, you know, the thing is, Kelly, I remember reading years ago that she likes eighties rock, and I'm right. sitting there thinking, you know, what the heck, Kelly? I mean, what do I? What's a guy got to do to get you to turn? You know, well, the funny thing is, she was like, oh, I forgot to hit my button or something yeah. like that. You know, they edited that out, but that's what she said during the thing. And so I don't know. I, I didn't. Jonas was uh, Nick. Jonas was a wild card for me. I didn't know what he would think. Yeah, exactly. but. Uh, but yeah, so it was an interesting experience, but definitely very nerve-wracking. And so the one thing I would say is like my second performance with um, with Joey Foco, where we did, uh, and neither one of us, that was not a song either one of us picked. I knew the song, the, the Tina Turner did the yeah. best, but I, I, it turns yeah, it turns out it was a really good song for my vocal range, uh-huh. um, and they must have guessed known that or something. I don't know, but for some reason, I from from the get go, I knew jo- I'd probably get hooked up with Joey because she had a little more of a rock vibe, and it made sense for us to be together. and And that performance, we had prepared really well, and she and I just I thought we had a great dynamic going. And right before I went on stage, I was in kind of the hallway, like they kind of call you in, like it's a boxing match, and. Uh, um, for the battle round, or at least they did at the time. And she was on one side, I was on the other. And so you're walking on your own hallway. And I remember looking out and seeing the crowd and up at the lights. And I remember, you know, my older brother Rick had said, you know, I told him I was feeling a little nervous. He said, dude, it's just singing, you know, and just have fun. And so I remember, I, I remember being very in the moment for that performance. So when I watched, when I rewatched that performance, I can just, I can just see and tell that I was just having so much fun. Cause like she and I had gone into the vocal booth behind the, the stands or whatever um, and practice with the vocal coach. And she's like, oh, it sounds great. I had the harmony down. I was just feeling so good. And they were they were playing other music, pumping up the crowd and stuff because and, we were, once again, the first ones to go on that day. And uh, so I was just getting all pumped up. And I remember looking up and just saying, when are you ever going to do this again, man? Just enjoy this moment. And so I don't know. I was, You know how they say you have to be in the moment? I was very in the moment. Like I just was really in the moment for that performance. So so I love Jukebox Hero. That's kind of my favorite. But that one's a pretty damn close second for me. And not so much of the song, just because of my memory of how great it felt to be there and to be performing and with someone and stuff. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I gotta ask you this: uh, '80s glam bands. Did you like them? Any that you got into? I mean, you know, I have trouble remembering who they consider glam or not. The one thing I would say, like in the '80s, I tended to listen to like the bands that were all over MTV and all over the radio. So, like a Poison yeah. or like Bon Jovi, you know, stuff like that. I, I wasn't so into them. Not like I hate them, but like they were all over. And like to me, I was more into the more discreet bands that. First of all, I just liked great singers, and mm-hmm. but I was into more of the bands that were they had a great singer, and also you didn't know them as much because it felt cooler to like a band that wasn't so <laughs> yeah. hip and wasn't so 
popular. So that's why I like, you know, Warrior and Shy and uh, Malice yeah. and Q5. And, I, you know, I like bands like that. But obviously I liked Iron Maiden. I loved Queensryche. Uh, you know, I remember listening to, there was a band called Heavy Petting that I used to listen mm-hmm. to. They had this really high singer. And, um, God, I, I, don't, I can't even think of all that. You know, uh, Leather Wolf, I remember having a oh, yeah. couple of their albums. And, you know, I mean, I think, I can't remember if I, I think I had a Poison album or two, you know. So, I mean, I like all those bands. I mean, you know, Dokken. I mean, you Dokken. know, the thing is, like, with Dokken, like, I never really had to buy their albums because they were all over the radio and mm-hmm. stuff. And I think my, my other brother liked them and he would play them. So, so there's bands like that. Like, Led Zeppelin, that's, that's, one, that's one of the funny ones. Like, Led Zeppelin, like, I never bought their album until they put out that Mothership album, like, probably been 20 years ago now. But they put out this Greatest Hits two-disc thing, and that's when I bought because they were all over the radio. I, yeah. I, I consider them, like, an influence, but I didn't even have to buy it because it was all over the radio. I used to hear it all the time, you know. So you've worked with a lot of projects. Who would you love to work with? Who would you love to get the call from to say, hey, Todd, we need you as vocalists. Is there somebody up there in your mind that you're thinking of? Wow. Um, you know, I think for me, um, you know, I mean, you kind of have fantasies in your head, like maybe somebody who, it would be it would be neat to be hooked up with someone that has, you know, like a fair amount of cachet that you know you'd probably get to play some good shows. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously someone like a Slash comes to mind, but I right. don't know that Slash and my style, uh, I don't really consider myself a bluesy guy, even though I probably could sing a little bit mm-hmm. of that. I don't really consider that. I think for me, it, you know, that's a tough one because then some of the bands you think about, well, I wouldn't, you know, like I love Iron Maiden or I love Queensryche, but I don't like Todd Latour is doing a beautiful job, so this yep. is no slam on him. Like I don't, I wouldn't want, I don't know that I'd want to try to replace Jeff Tate in Queensrÿche. Right. I mean, that just seems like a lot of pressure. I wouldn't want to replace like uh, you know uh, Sebastian Bach and Skid Row stuff right. like that. Right. Um, so I think for me, I don't know why, but right right now I'd say you know there's probably a lot of people that I would like to, but for some reason Tommy Shaw sticks out in my head, and I think the Ooh. reason is. He just seems like a good, decent guy. He's a great singer. I know he's a great songwriter, and I feel like it would be so cool to be hooked up with someone who could sing like crazy, wow. you know, and sing along with me, and we could yeah. write songs together. So I, probably, probably Tommy Shaw right now would be my guy that I would, you know, that I would really love to get a call from. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, man. But uh, hey, I appreciate the conversation. Had a great time talking with you. Anything you want to say to the people that have been following you all these years? Oh, uh, you know, I I just been so blessed. I mean, at this point in my life, I mean, I, I I'm doing things that I kind of thought we were long gone, and, and you know, I I get messages from people and direct messages now and then, or posts on things and the positive comments and. And just hearing from people that, that, that my music has touched their touched them is, you know, I mean, to me, that's a thing. I, I've been touched by music when I was, was younger, and, and it's been like the soundtrack of my life. And kind of that's my fantasy. That's why I do it, because I feel like, man, I, I have, I, I love to perform, and I, I love to write, too. And I feel like, man, if I could be that for somebody else, that would just be so awesome. And so I just, you know, just really thankful for the people that listen and, and, and give, give you that good feedback, because that's the kind of thing that feels my passion and makes me want to do it for us you know thank you very much all right brother have a great night all right you too well that was great talking with todd make sure you go check out his album sonic healing there's a lot of cool things on the way from the 80s glam metal cast as always you should subscribe so you don't miss any of it rock on